Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human and non-corporeal listeners. Hey, man, we've got way more human listeners than uh, you're going to give us credit for, thanks to our Spotify Unwrapped detailing all kinds of uh, stats and oh, information. That's very true. Thank you so much to everyone who is who is hearing this, because uh, we found out... That the Unnamed Automotive Podcast is in the top 10% of subscribed podcasts on Spotify in 2022. So that's there are there are uh, millions of podcasts on Spotify. So <laughs> making it up there is it's it's impressive, and it only happens because of everyone who's listening right now. So thanks for sticking with us. This, this is our we're going into our sixth year, I think, and I believe this is episode 298. So. Um, yeah, it is. That's a that's a lot of that's a lot of talking with Sammy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we couldn't do it without Benjamin's uh, unrelenting pursuit of of quality, really. Pursuit and of so that's why I have to, <laughs> That's why I have to apologize because my recording situation today is uh, not the usual one. So if you hear any weird noises or cutouts or um, if I don't sound anywhere near as 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 high quality as usual, you can blame me on that. Really, not Ben. He I don't know. There's if... none of the. None of the fire there. I don't know if anyone out there listening remembers what it used to be like to call overseas long distance, like if you were calling Europe from North America or Asia, and how you would always hear those like a like a oh, rub, 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 like in the no. background like a mechanical Is that sound. What I sound like right now. And 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 like a clunking. It was I don't know what that noise was, whether it was the apparatus that was counting the extremely expensive minutes or what. Yeah. But I'm just saying, Sammy's doing a little bit better than that. I'm just a little bit. Um, that was the voice of Ben Hunting, Benjamin Hunting, as he's better known. You can find his work all over the internet. Ben, tell them where they can find it. Come on, go now. Sure. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at uh, autotrader.ca, <laughs> driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, TechSpot, Automotive News, Car and Driver. Let's just uh, keep it at that. What do you think, Ben? Okay. I mean, whatever you can handle. <laughs> I know. It's, it's My hands are full. Let me t- start this week's conversation by um, chatting about a truck that we talked about last week, which was the GMC Sierra Denali Ultimate. Ben, you had so many positive things to say about this truck, and this time you're in a similar truck, right? Yeah, so immediately after driving the Denali, I got behind the wheel of the Silverado ZR2. Immediately. 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 They opened the doors... I parked and one just, behind the other. Even, yes, you didn't even touch the ground. No, what you I did right was I opened the door and I did like an alley-oop up onto the roof. And then I <laughs> rolled from the roof, from the hood of the car into the bed of the ZR2. And then I, I went through the back window. You know, they open. I oh, dove yeah. through that like a seal. And then I slipped my way into the front seat and I was gone before anyone knew I was even at the Holy dealership. Wow. Ben, I know you've been, I know that 2022 you've been on a really hardcore diet. You've been exercising every day. I didn't know you were that agile and nimble to jump through the rear window of the of the Silverado. Soon, well, I dislocate both my shoulders to do it. As, <laughs> oh, okay. As soon as I pulled out of the fleet location, my phone immediately started ringing. I, of course, did not answer it. <laughs> okay. So, the, yes, the, tell you're, me, what you're, is it called, Silverado? What now? ZR2. So if you remember, ZR2 is a badge that in modern times has been used to refer to more hardcore versions of the off-road trucks built by Chevrolet. You have Z71, which is the you know basic package of upgrades for suspension and tires and whatnot. 
But ZR2, um, you used to see it back in the 90s. There was a Blazer ZR2. And uh, it kind of retired a little bit in the 2000s or, or the late 2000s. And then we got it back for the Colorado. And the Colorado version was really cool because it came with these shocks from a company called Multimatic, which we talked about in a recent episode. Multimatic oh, yeah. built the Ford GT, is building the Ford GT. Not sure uh, the status on that. But Multimatic built a lot of race cars before that. And they developed this thing called DSSV technology. It's a different way of valving shocks. Uh, I'm not an expert on suspension, but having talked to engineers... At least multi- just tell me what the acronym stands for. I can't even remember. It's a... It's, it it's, dynamic something spool valve? Well, it's spool valves instead of traditional valves. And after talking to engineers at Multimatic, this is a few years ago when I went to the launch of the Colorado ZR2, instead of having a less precise external reservoir type of system for moving fluids around in a shock that gives you like a lot of travel and and the ability to handle a lot of, uh, you know, I guess, abrupt changes in terrain. But when you're on the road, that kind of setup is really loose. Like, it, it, yeah. you don't get a lot of road feel. It can feel floaty. The, the Raptor is a perfect example. The, the, the first version of the second-gen Raptor was a mm-hmm. lot more difficult to drive on the highway because you felt very disconnected from the steering inputs. And a lot of that has to do with having very hardcore external reservoir shocks. So when GMs went to Multimatic, they're like, look, we they used the DSSV, I believe, in the Z28 Camaro when that came out. Oh, yeah. And they wanted to adapt it to an off-road setting. And <laughs> I know a lot of people are probably thinking, why not just use the MagnaRide shocks that are yeah. so good, right? Yeah, yeah. But those aren't really meant for off-roading, right? No. So what happens with MagnaRide oh, is okay. in that environment, there's so much – MagnaRide shocks, they use a, a magnetic – it's, it's a magnetic fluid. It has, yeah. um, I guess, ferric particles suspended in it. And there's a computer sensor system that cha- – it does 1,000 measurements per second of what the road looks like underneath the wheels of the vehicle. If you translate that to an off-road environment – it, the heat generated by the shock moving so often up and down is is way above the spec of what you would see on the street. Mm-hmm. So the MagnaRide system, it doesn't work in that environment nearly as well as a more dedicated shock. So they okay. they went to Multimatic and they're like, can you adapt DSSV to off-road? And it turns out they could. And it turns out it works really, really well. The Colorado yeah. ZR2, fantastic to drive on the street and really it's great. It's probably off-road. one of my favorite... Like I, I dislike the fact that it looks um, like an off-road truck. The the Colorado ZR2. It and like the models we used to get as press as press units had this big old um, spare tire in the bed, making the car complete the truck completely useless. As yeah, a, wasn't as it a like truck. the didn't AEV make like a Bison version of the truck too that was even more right? Yeah, more and um, but I will say that of all of the pickup trucks I've ever driven, especially off-road oriented pickup trucks that can feel like really inconsistent in terms of road feel um the the ZR2 felt amazing like it was really really good in my opinion so, um as to how it rode everything that we just talked about is essentially been ported over to the Silverado ZR2 and okay has it been successful in that transformation well that's what we're going to talk about right it's the, the ZR2, that's what I'm asking I want to know the ZR2 it's ostensibly designed to go up against the Raptor and the TRX So that's the Ram and the Ford version of the hardcore full-size off-road truck. And it's weird because GM, Chevrolet specifically, stayed out of that that world for a really long time. 
Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, six, seven years now? I don't know how long ago. I mean, the Raptor came out <laughs> in like 2010, I want to say. I think so, yeah. So a decade at least uh, before GM had any kind of real response to that. Uh, but even so, it's it would be a mistake, I think, to consider the ZR2 to be a direct analog for either of those trucks. Mm-hmm. It's It's got a mixture of what you were talking about, Sammy, um, that off-road look that you don't like, like the tucked bumpers and the uh, aggressive stance. But it also is paired with the same drivetrain that you would get with any other version of the Silverado. It has the 6.2 liter, 420 horsepower V8. It's a good motor, but, you know, it's not a crazy Raptor-tuned EcoBoost engine. It's not a Raptor RV8, and it's certainly not a TRX Hellcat engine. Right. That's a significant difference. It's not that the 6.2 isn't good, but you can get the 6.2 without without a performance you know, oriented version of the yeah, truck. I think you can get it with the luxury luxury models and the GMC, as we mentioned last you week. You can get it across a wide number of trim levels for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's a big difference right out of the, right out of the gate. So the other thing about the truck, there's two other things I think stand out when you're comparing them to Raptor and TRX. You mm-hmm. can only get 33 inch tires on this truck. I think it's a limitation of the body design on the Silverado. That's just how it is. I believe... Sorry, uh, as someone who's ignorant about off-road tri- uh, off-road tire specs, is 33 big or small? Well, I think you can get 37 on the Raptor. Oh, wow. And potentially the, the TRX. I'm not 100% sure about that. I, I, if and... any listeners out there know for sure, I think, I've se- I think I've actually driven trucks with that. I'm not sure if it's an options package on, on the... Uh, I think it's standard on the TRX, but it might be optional on the Raptor. And bigger um, tires are are more appreciated in this situation because they offer more grip well the bigger tire is going to give you a little bit more ride height first of all yeah because you have a taller sidewall it's also going to in some cases be stronger because you have more rubber uh okay. that can take more abuse and uh it also looks way more aggressive <laughs> and for some people that's super important but yeah i mean the larger the tire okay. the more tread you're going to be putting onto the ground so in theory there's also a traction advantage all of those things together Okay, perfect. Um, but and my experience was always that, like, when you had those big old wide, like, knobby tires, is that you know when you're doing rock crawling or low speed off roading, even the sidewall of those tires provide that like traction and grip when you need it too. Yeah, exactly. And the the other the the uh, counterpoint to that, I guess, is you don't have to buy 37 inch replacement tires for the truck. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, the so there's that aspect of it, and then there's the fact that the DSSV shocks they don't have the same amount of travel as what you would find uh, in the... Actually, there's a third thing I'll bring up related to this. It doesn't have the same amount of travel as what you would find in a Raptor. Um, it's, I believe, 9.6 inches in the front and another additional inch of travel in the back, so 10.6. Okay. You, you're you not going to... You might hit harder if you jump the truck. I mean, the Raptor, I think, is like 15 inches in the rear. So that's a pretty big difference. So you can kind of tell that the Raptor was designed to catch a lot more air. But realistically, I'm not sure how many people are jumping full-size pickup trucks. I mean, yeah, we got to talk about this jumping trucks like thing. Don't jump! Don't jump a new truck. Can, yeah. can I prom- Can I ask people not to jump a new truck? I mean, do what you want with your money, but if you're gonna jump, and send us a video because <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> I'm not sure that's advice. Uh, jumping a truck sounds like something that I would do uh, as a teenager with some beaten down thing. Um, I'm not sure I would feel super, super happy doing it to a what I imagine is like a $70,000 truck or something like that. 
The the last thing I want to mention about the Silverado, as in terms of it being different, is it doesn't have that giant pushed out track that you see on the um, Raptor and mm-hmm. the TRX. And I like that because both of those trucks are very sketchy to drive in traffic because they're so they're wide. Huge. Yeah, it's, it's just hard to know where the truck ends and where traffic begins. And uh, it, it's stressful. It's very stressful. And then you throw in the fact that like the Raptor, especially the TRX, not so much, but the Raptor especially is really floaty. And you have this like giant, not great handling vehicle with way too much power. Um, I kind of feel like the ZR2 is the thinking person's off-roader in this segment because it gives you all sorts of things that are great for off-road without going over the top in any area. That like, really catches my attention. You you got to talk to me a little bit about that because it doesn't seem so, I don't want to use the word obnoxious, but it doesn't seem like over the top and, and like unnecessary. It has exactly no. what it needs to thrill you without, um, without doing anything awful. Exactly. So, Weird, you know, wild. we're talking about differences in power, right? Like the 700 and yeah. something horsepower in the Ram, 450 horsepower in the, in the Raptor. The the zero two to zero to sixty in like six point one seconds. That's As a top fast. top speed of ninety eight miles an hour. That's the limiter, and I'm assuming that's tire related. So that's only that's a half second slower than the Raptor, and mm. almost it's like 0.8 seconds slower than the TRX. Does it really matter at that point? Like, does no. do you really care so. if you? I don't point- think you're talking about drag racing off-road oriented trucks no right? and i feel like 420 horsepower and 40 60 pound feet of torque are way more than you're going to need off-road to have fun i think that that's perfect it's the perfect amount you know yeah. um it comes with a 10 speed automatic transmission i had issues with this transmission in the gmc in terms of smoothness it's okay. more, it's the same transmission that's shared with ford they, they did the development together gm and ford in the fords it's really noticeable how the lack of smoothness it's better in the Silverado, but there are still moments where, especially at like low RPM in higher gears, it kind of feels like it's stumbling a little bit. It's it's not a great transmission, but it, you know it's it's suitable for what you're doing. Uh, but in terms of the off-road stuff, you get locking differentials. You know you have those tucked bumpers. You have yeah. decent amounts of of wheel travel, and then you have a really no sacrifice when you're driving around to the when you're driving to the trail from your house because it has the DSSCB shocks. Okay, and, that all sounds pretty good in terms of truck truckiness, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't get you don't get like uh, you can't adjust the dampers, which I believe you can do in the TRX. You know, the the DSSV doesn't; it's not electronically controlled, so you can't really do that. Mm. It doesn't have an active exhaust. Would you system. want to? I remember, I remember that being like I said, I remember being so impressed by the DSSV dampers in the yeah, you don't, Colorado is that they they just felt ideal. Like, yeah, you don't need so to do good. it. I mean, it has an off road driving mode and a terrain mode. Uh, for like rock, those are two different things. Yes, somehow. (laughs) I think off road is like if you want to do, if you want to make the mistake of jumping your truck, and like (laughs) terrain is like. Hold on, terrain is for when you're flying the truck. Yes, yes. Um, There is no terrain under the truck. No, Uh, but uh, in any case, the the overall package is quite appealing. Uh, The simplicity of the package, the honesty of the package is appealing. Now, I I mentioned it doesn't have an an active exhaust or anything, but my truck had... So I built it online with the options that I had. I had an insane cat-back exhaust system on this truck. Oh, really? On cold start, it was terrifying. I mean, one of the loudest vehicles I've ever been in, period. 
on the street. But that makes so much sense. I mean, the 6.2 liter V8 is like, it sounds good. It, it sounds, sounds good scary. in other in other vehicles. It I don't know, you know, they might not be the exact same V8, but it sounds so good I would remote, in other vehicles. I would remote start it from inside my house <laughs> and it would rattle the glass. It was just nuts. And it's loud all the time. Like, it's just constantly loud. So you, if you get that option, there's actually three different catback systems you can get for it. Wow. I, two of them go through the bumper. I had the one that dumps, like, before the bumper because I had the – I don't know if it's – you can't get it with the multi-magic – multi-magic. <laughs> the multi-function tailgate or not. Yeah. But, there is uh, only one magic, not multi-magic. That's yes. true. Um, anyway. So okay. Mechanically, so, hold on. Mechanically speaking, yeah, get to this. I, I want to hear this. No, it's good. I'm, I'm into it. But um, you had what sounded like a very, like, mechanically similar truck uh, in terms of powertrain size um, last week that you were very impressed with, especially with the interior design. How does the Silverado compare to the, the, the Sierras in terms of interior design? It doesn't whatsoever. I mean, the general design is similar in the sense that you have like the same infotainment screen position and whatnot, and you can get, yeah. the, you can get the head-up display that the, the Denali Ultimate had. But the materials are, you know, there's, there's actually no options when you're building a ZR2 for the interior. It's like one color. This is what you get. It's like a basic Cloth? kind of... Leather? It's a leatherette, I guess. I'm not sure okay. if it's actual leather. Um, they call it perforated leather seating surfaces. So, but it's, it's, it's just one color. It's like a, it's a black and kind of a gray. It's fine. Okay. It's perfectly fine. It's way better than the previous generation Silverado, or should I say the original version of this generation? We talked last week about how mm-hmm. the, you know, both the Sierra and the Silverado underwent this very rapid refresh because the interiors were truly below par. It was less noticeable in the Silverado because the Silverado wasn't transacting at like a really high price and wasn't positioned as a luxury truck. Yeah. But this is much better. It's 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 a very nice interior. It's totally fine. You're not gonna. I I couldn't find any real faults with it. There's lots of space. The only thing that's strange about this truck inside, and this was the case with the Sierra as well, it has like a weird shifter. Remember what? Remember what do you the, mean by a weird shifter? It's not column mounted. No, it's like a little knobby. It's a knobby shifter on the console. It's similar to what you used to find in like the Grand Cherokee, where oh, yeah, you would okay. like tip back and forth for and this has a park button instead of reverse sorry instead of a a park selection it's like a fully electronic shifter it's kind of annoying i mean the old trucks did have the column mount it worked it was fine i don't i don't have any politics i just want a simple uh a simple shift i will say this though politics what do you mean by that i i don't want to no 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 follow-up questions (laughs) but um I will say this today, uh, or sorry, yesterday, I drove one of my father's Studebakers. He had his drag car up in Montreal for some work that was being done on the interior. And for the first time, it was a column shifter, but it wasn't, you know, we're so used to PRNDL, right? For yeah. like, this was PNDLR. So you wow. had park, neutral, uh, drive, low and then reverse was all the way over on the right and i only discovered this because i wanted to back it up and I, I i moved the shifter back one and like rev the engine and the engine just revved <laughs> and i realized i was in neutral and i had to go all the way to the to the far right for for r that's the first time i've ever encountered that in an automatic transmission interesting all right tell me what this um what the zr2 costs and uh whether or not you'd recommend it um over some of its rivals or wherever it sits in the market so the base price is seventy one five. 
It's oh, a lot man. of money. Uh, these, are, these trucks are hurting my heart. <laughs> They're so expensive. But it's still like $30,000 less than the Sierra, isn't it? Like something crazy like that. <laughs> How much was the Sierra last week? It was in the 90s, I think. I think it was. Uh, Didn't I it think start it was... at like 84 or something? Yeah. Um, so, but that's still cheaper than a TRX and a Raptor, though. Yeah, I mean, mine had mine had like a paint option that was like four hundred bucks. I had a technology package that was two thousand dollars, and then I had that exhaust, which was, I think was like seventeen hundred bucks. But that's weird because they they count that as a dealer installed accessory, so you know it's a uh, it's outside their pricing. Okay, but uh, the, yeah, the total was like seventy seventy seven thousand with all the features. Okay. All also, right. also, I don't know how much this matters to people, but the ZR2 will out-tow a TRX and a Raptor. It's like 8,900 pounds. I think that is actually useful because those trucks get um, limited in terms of their capabilities when, when you get one of those uh, off-road oriented or performance oriented models. Um, I think you want a truck that can still do all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, and I think that's really what this truck encompasses. When I said thinking person's truck, it's it's a truck you can still use for all your normal truck stuff, but it's also good off-road, but it's not going to scare everyone unless you get the, the catback exhaust. Uh, and it's also, it's it's not going to feel un- as unwieldy as those super wide, super floaty um, uh, alternatives that are out there. Very cool. Anything else you want to talk about with this truck? I do think it's surprising that GM hasn't gone very hardcore in building an extreme off-road full-size pickup. I don't understand their reluctance to do this because it's clear that people want to buy them. It's clear the money is there for them. There's there's no technological reason they couldn't slap a supercharger onto the 420 horse uh, 6.2 and make it crazy. So that part they've is got motors like that everywhere, right? Yeah. Like in, in other performance cars. They're not trucks, but they're they're other performance so cars. They've got great engines. I don't get it. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not upset about it, but it seems like it's, they're leaving money on the table. It's like a complete opposite of what we see with, uh, Stellantis and their Hellcat everything approach. Yeah. Um, we don't see that happening with, <laughs> with GM at all. No, not at all. Okay. Um, as you know, I was, uh, I was away on vacation, um, traveling a little bit. And while I was out there, I had, um, a really good book on hand called Racing with Rich Energy. How a Rogue Sponsor Took Formula One for a Ride. It's written by two fantastic journalists by the name of Elizabeth Blackstock and Alanis King. And Ben, I believe you've just re- uh, finished reading this book as well. Yeah, actually, I, I read the book. Uh, <laughs> I also interviewed Elizabeth and Alanis for an upcoming piece uh, at Inside Hook about how they put this book together. Sammy, the, this book, for people who are familiar uh, with Rich Energy, how would you describe this, this situation? Well, the situation is that um, a sponsor for a Formula One team ended up being um, less than than expected, I guess, or or more than expected in some cases, <laughs> just being very uh, kind of sketchy. Um, and that is a very interesting topic because Formula One is kind of seen as like the the peak or the pinnacle of motorsport, and how some um, someone who claims they have a lot of money or a really impressive um, company can waltz their way into this um, the stage and uh, wreak all kinds of havoc. Well, you especially know, especially on on a team that's just trying to win some races. It's the 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 breakdown of the story is in 2019. This company called Rich Energy, which claimed to be a worldwide beverage seller, in the same way like Energy Beverages, basically it's it's yeah. in the name, right? <laughs> they were they fancied themselves a Red Bull competitor. They approached uh, Haas Racing, which is the only American team in Formula One. They signed on as a title sponsor for you know 
millions of dollars. And it turns out they only had like $700 in the bank account. Yeah. And they And that information was widely available. Yeah, like it was that, available. How much and, money they had. And it also turns out that the Rich Energy product didn't really exist in the sense that it was very hard to find any on shelves anywhere or even order it. And what what happened over the course of the season was the the CEO of Rich Energy, a man, William Story, he was addicted to Twitter and he said increasingly outrageous and crazy things about the, his relationship with the, the team because Haas had yep. a difficult season. And it all came to a head mid-season. They, 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 he terminated the sponsorship via Twitter. And yep. uh, it was not a huge – I mean it sucked for Haas in the sense that they lost out on millions. But – Haas is a largely self-funded team to begin with, so it didn't end their season. No. But it did create a super weird situation, and um, Black Blackstock and King really dove into the idea of what you had mentioned. It was like, how did these people come in and bamboozle Formula One? I mean, this is a world where people... Th- there's so much money involved that racing teams really need sponsorship money a lot of the time, and they're willing to put up with a lot of crap to get it. Yeah. And that kind of pulled the wool over the eyes of anyone who was actually vetting this particular sponsor. But this book is great because it starts from the very beginning. It dives into, you know, William Story's sketchy business past. Uh, Alanis and Elizabeth had interviewed him for a, a, the first time they wrote about this was, was on Jalopnik. Yeah. And they were able to expand that into a full length book because there's just so much of the story to tell. Things get crazier and crazier. But they also, you know, they interview people from Haas. They they talk to uh, people in Formula One. They talk to business associates of Rich Energy. And it paints a very complicated web of deceit and weirdness. Absolutely. And there's also a really good um, section in the book about prior scandals or uh, confusing sponsors or sketchy sponsors in Formula One. I think that was your favorite part of the book, right? Yeah, I really like that. I I wrote a story a couple years ago about the fake Nigerian prince who came in and pledged like over $100 million, I believe, to the Arrows racing team. I think it was Arrows. Mm -hmm. It was being run by uh, the uh, Tom Walkinshaw. And it turned out he wasn't really a prince. He, he he claimed to have like a branding company and a mobile phone company and all this stuff. And none of it was real. And it really, that was a situation where when that all fell apart, Arrows ran out of money and I believe either was bought or was out of F1 within a couple of years past that point. And some people say it actually accelerated Walkinshaw's death because Oof. of the stress he had to deal with going through that. Um, and then there's also the Moneytron machine, which was in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a guy who came, he was an F1 sponsor, and he claimed to have this Moneytron computer that could predict, I guess, trends in the stock market, Sammy. Yeah. But but the Moneytron was in a room that only he had access yeah, to, yeah. and no one else yeah. had ever seen it. <laughs> and people were still, What do you think's going to happen? People still believed him. People were like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a real thing that's totally not insanely fake i when i was interviewing alanis about this she was saying we were talking about the idea of you know they wrote this book almost immediately after the the whole rich energy scandal had happened and i i asked you know it's very fresh in people's minds which is good but it's also fresh in the pain that it caused which maybe makes some people not want to talk to you so do you think what it, it would have been different if you wrote this story 10 years from now and her point was you know 10 years from now there's a lot of stuff in this story we wouldn't have had access to, like the court records yeah. necessarily for the because Rich Energy got sued by Red Bull for making all these outlandish claims. Um, also, the uh, the Twitter 
the 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 tweets that William Story had done over the course of the season, yeah. a lot of them ended up deleted because of that of that lawsuit. So that would have all been gone, right? And she's like, if it was the '80s, I would have wanted to go into that room and looked inside the Moneytron room and seen what was in there. But I can't do that now. No one can do that. You know, like we're too far away into into the future. It, it's it's too far back in the past. So mm-hmm. it's it was an interesting parallel when looking at Moneytron versus Rich Energy. I thought. Um, I really enjoyed the book. I think um, I think some of our listeners might enjoy it as well. I think uh, due to su- due to the success of the Netflix um, series Drive to Survive, I think Formula One has reached uh, a new audience. And I think if you want to consume more behind the scenes information um, about some wacky things that go on uh, in Formula One, you're going to want to check out this book. It's about 200 pages. You can get it um, on Amazon or at the website. Uh, richenergybook.com but Ben we have another way for our listeners to get it how, how is that Sammy? I have an extra copy that I would love to kind of raffle off to anybody who's uh, listening to the to the podcast what do you think we should, what do you think about that idea Ben? I think that's a great idea I think if you want to read Racing with Rich Energy and you want to do it via our podcast you can send us an email uh, go to the website unnamedautomotivepodcast.com use the contact form and just say hey i want a copy of the book and if you don't want to go to the website you can email benjamin at benjaminhunting.com and say hey i want a copy of the book we're going to run this for the month of december and uh it's one entry per person and once we have all of our entries at the end of the month the first week of january we're going to mail out the book we'll use a random number generator to pick the person who wins and we'll send it to you Mm -hmm. anywhere in the world yep um, so please just one, one entry. Don't spam our inboxes with, with if, if you really want the book that <laughs> I mean, you bad. can, but it's not going to help, right? Like it's like, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that was my experience. I really enjoyed the book. I think also, um, if you follow Elizabeth and Alanis on Twitter, they're really good fun. Yes, um, and they're sure. excellent writers as well. So, um, I can't wait to, to hear if anybody else has picked up the book or what their thoughts were on it or to give anybody this, uh, this free copy that we've got. Ben, there's also been some kind of fun news to talk about um, that changed uh, recently in the in the automotive industry. I learned about a new car Toyota's debuting in February called the Grand Highlander. What Wait, do you think what? about this? Yeah, I think that that's a little much. I mean, uh, what is the what are the details of the Grand Highlander? I know two things about the Highlander. This Grand Highlander is that it will likely be three rows of. It'll likely feature three rows of seating. I mean, it already and, does. The Highlander already has three rows of seating. Well, yeah, and will feature something known as the Hybrid Max um, powertrain, which might relate to the 2.4 liter Turbo Four um, hybrid system that's found in the Toyota Crown, which puts out 340 horsepower and 400 pound-feet of torque. What do you so, think of this thing, Ben? My my first thought is that the existence of the Grand Highlander presupposes the existence of a Grand RAV4, perhaps, in the future, a.k.a. the Highlander. <laughs> so I'm a little confused yeah. by the branding. Um, I, I'm a little... Well, also, they could have called it the Highlander. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed they didn't go, like, the, the the route that they use in the home market and call it something like the, the Highlander Wizard or something like that. Like, something cool. <laughs> I, I, don't, I think it's kind of confusing to use the word Grand when you have no history of it in North America. And you're, people are going to be like yeah. Grand Cherokee, Grand Wagoneer, Grand Highlander. I, yeah. Is that really what the association they want to make? Toyota just slid on in there. Do you think Jeep will let that slide? 
I don't think I don't think they don't they have get... they don't have a trademark on the word grand. Yeah, you know? I don't think you can copyright a descriptive <laughs> word. I mean, maybe you can, but maybe. I'm not I'm not sure that that's ever been done. Um, I, I mean, know. I think you and I both looked at this and we thought perhaps this is something that is targeting the Korean um, three row vehicles like the Palisade or Telluride. Well, I think which that makes, have that makes yeah. sense if you're. It depends what grand means, right? Like if grand means larger, then no. But if grand means more luxurious, then perhaps because the Highlander. I is think a, that's okay. I think that's fair because Toyota did this plan. With the Toyota Venza, they made essentially another RAV4 and just made it look different. But it's not nice inside. I mean, the Venza is not more luxurious than a RAV4. It's not. It's trying to be, but it isn't. And I don't want a Grand Venza or a Venza Wizard. So, (laughs) all right, moving on. What what other news do we have on on, on Oh, you're going to love this one. Um, um, Performance updates, performance upgrades. Um, Polestar, you know, everyone's favorite um, electric automaker that no one knows about. The Polestar 2, the dual motor long range version of the vehicle, can get a 68 horsepower and 15 pound feet of torque upgrade for just under $1,200. And this isn't a subscription, you're just paying for this once. And it comes over the year, right? It comes over the No one has to do anything. You just go into an, an app store, essentially, and check out, and it downloads to your car. You ever wanted to download horsepower? Remember when they told us we couldn't download a – you wouldn't download a car? It turns out we will. <laughs> it does turn out we will. Uh, it's I, – I think this is, you know, the way of the future for EV automakers because Sammy and I were talking about this this afternoon, and it used to be that in the past, if you – you know, it's not unusual, obviously, to offer the same car with different power levels, but – in the yeah. past, if you wanted, if you bought the smaller motor right from the outset and you wanted the bigger motor later, let's say it was a Mustang, you know, you bought the four-cylinder, yeah. the EcoBoost, and then later you want the GT, you'd have to go back to the dealership, trade in your car, and get the newer car with the bigger motor. Or, you know, do a swap yourself in your driveway, which is really Yeah, or do something, do something very complicated. Either do yeah. a swap or get a bajillion modifications. Yeah. Um, spend so, all this time with a laptop in the passenger seat, like in the movies. Danger to manifold. So the <laughs> this is a lot easier for, for car companies because they can make one drivetrain and have different tunes. And you just, you know, maybe you go in, you buy it. You're like, okay, this drivetrain feels like a deal. It feels like it fits me. And then a year later, you're bored with your car and you want more power. And then you can just, you know, clickety-click on the internet and you've got that power. It's, it's It seems like a good revenue stream for car companies. But Sammy, there's another way of doing this that Mercedes-Benz tried that we've talked about that is a little bit sketchier. Like Volvo is, they're not going to take it away from you. You buy it, it's yours, right? But with Mercedes, I think on the EQS, they offered more power, but only as a subscription. Yeah, it's uh, EQE and EQS. You'll have to pay $1,200 a year uh, as opposed to the Volvo, I mean, as opposed to the Polestar model, which is $1,200 once. Um, $1,200 a year. And I'm bummed out by this because I think the EQE and the EQS are... I mean, at least compared to a Polestar 2, they're expensive cars. Yes, and they are and they have other things that are go- working against them that we've talked about extensively. <laughs> yes, but they're like flagship products, right? It, I get stressed out by this. I, I really don't know how I feel about a product that's supposed to be billed as the best that you got. And then you're like, oh, yeah, but if you, pay, if you spend $1,200 a year... It's going to be even better. It's almost like, like the mob, right? They're like, wouldn't want anything yeah. bad to happen to all your beautiful horsepower. You better exactly. keep that money flowing towards the Silver Star. But didn't you say that there's a problem with their business plan? 
Um, yes, there is a very serious problem is that um, in one market or region where Mercedes-Benz is very popular, um, Europe, they will not allow them to do this um, performance um, subscription. Why not? Uh, let me take a look at the real. It, it, it are you reading the article legal, in the original yeah, German? Legal matter. Yes, I am. Legal matters currently prevent Mercedes from offering a subscription-based power upgrade, and it's going to take time to find out if they if they work this out. There are other subscription services that are available in Europe, like uh, BMW's awful heated seat subscription. But um, that's all I got, man. Like I, I think this has uh, this has some legal elements that need to be sorted out, and I'm curious to find out if that's going to work. Um, we know that the EU is notoriously uh, consumer protection oriented, and if they think that something is inappropriate here, that they they put the kibosh on that, right? Probably. I mean, speaking of inappropriate, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us about things that aren't related to uh, the book, there are other ways to do that. You, <laughs> do, you don't have to. You don't have to use email. You don't have to use the the contact information on the website. You can get in touch with us on Instagram. It, which is where I am at Hunting Benjamin or Twitter where Sammy is at Sammy underscore hot like you're laughing. And if you do go to the website and don't use these the uh, contact form, you can use the website for other things like hearing past episodes, checking out some of the pictures of vehicles that we've driven or, you know, subscribing on Spotify, whether you're going to be using your own podcatcher. We're on pretty much every service that's out there. Amazon, uh, Google, Apple Podcasts, everything. Yeah. Um, it's all right there on the website. Um, and while you're at the website, you can see all of our previous episodes, you can see photos of the cars we've been driving, um, and all sorts of fun stuff. We're going to be back next week, right, Ben? I hope so. What are you going to be talking about next week? I'm going to be driving the new 2023 Subaru Ascent. Um, this is a car I didn't know that they made better in any way or form, so I'm very eager to see how it improved. I'm going to be talking about the Chevrolet Bolt EUV, which I had not driven before. Very cool. I'm really excited to hear how your thoughts are with that, especially given um, your new home charger setup. That's right. All right. I'll talk to you next week, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye.